another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Today, we brought in Travis Bland, a local punk rock enthusiast and journalist, uh, to chat with Keith Morris from Black Flag, Circle Jerks, Off, uh, maybe something I'm not thinking of, but every punk rock documentary you've ever seen has probably had Keith Morris in it. Mm-hmm. Um, super high energy frontman. Uh, first vocalist in Black Flag and also a founder of that project. Um, maybe more notably associated with Circle Jerks, who he just, you know, that was kind of more of his project and, and then he was involved with it a lot longer than he was in Black Flag. But, uh, yeah, um, I, you know, sometimes when we bring in a guest, we'll have them do these intros with us. And unfortunately, we don't have Travis here to do that with us today, so we can't pick his mm-hmm. brain about how the interview went. But, uh, you, you were able to sit in and listen, yeah, I was, right? I was there for the whole thing. Yeah, it was kind of funny because uh, when I was a young kid playing punk rock shows, I actually really looked up to Travis oh. <laughs> as well as uh, Keith Morris. So it was kind of kind of funny. Um, yeah, he's he's a Travis. Travis is a punk rock legend uh, in this area. He uh, my first band's first show in Columbia. He booked us. That's awesome, on. man. Well, he was he was super kind we asked him really last minute to come in and talk to keith just because we thought he'd be excited about it and that he would do a good job with it and he you know he jumped at it and came in and just knocked it out of the park um and you know he he approached it a little different than some of us have approached it maybe like because he's an actual journalist <laughs> but uh yeah i'm excited to hear it i haven't had a chance to hear the interview myself so after we get this all edited and chopped up i'm gonna dig into it myself but i did spend some time revisiting those circle jerks records and they're pretty sick man like that golden shower of hits i listened to a ton growing up and mm-hmm. i got to see keith with his newest band off open for refused in atlanta uh, God. so did I. And I, I when was that like that was probably 2012 2013 yeah it was a while ago like but uh yeah so like i think that um if I the little bits and pieces I heard during the interview, it seemed like Travis and Keith actually talked about that tour a bit. So I'm they did. To hear uh, that. Keith hated that show. Oh really? Because he said the sound was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could see how that's not ideal. Because it was in that weird little like back field behind the Masquerade in Atlanta. It's kind of a strange little spot for music. But I mean, you know, I was new to Off, but I was really, you know, I spent a lot of time with The Shape of Punk to Come, the Refused record, so I was really excited to hear some of that. And that was my first exposure to, to Keith's project, Off, um, and I mean, I thought they sounded great, but, you know, it's easy to sound great front of house, and if your on-stage mix sucks for, from a performing standpoint, it's hard to be like, but, you know, it sounded great for everyone else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel his pain, but... Yeah, I was glad that Keith came through and chatted with us. This is the second member of Black Flag we've had on the show, uh, two different eras. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to hear how it went, man. Well, without further ado, here's Keith Morris of Black Flag and Circle Jerks and Off being interviewed by our friend Travis Bland. All right, thanks, guys. Enjoy. I'm going to go ahead and get started. I got a first question here, and it kind of applies to now because I was actually surprised. I hadn't, you know, sort of looked up anything on Circle Jerks in a while or anything, but so I was surprised to see y'all were going on tour or at least had done some dates, um, and you're going to do do more when the coronavirus stuff uh, clears up. But I was wondering if you ever thought you'd be touring as Circle Jerks 40 years after it was formed. Well, we didn't even know what we were doing back then. So it's all just been uh, play it as it lays. You know, you you play the cards that are dealt you. Um, I, had a, uh, I, I had a chain of events where I, I had a big chunk of money removed from me. Ouch. Because I, because I had three... Um, three projects that I was working on 
just uh, get tossed right out the window. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm in a fourplex. I'm, I'm in Los Feliz. I'm looking at a, a movie theater sign right now, a, a Vista Theater. And I'm uh, upstairs, and I have a balcony. So it was just like I went out on the balcony, and I just dumped all of this stuff over the side. Um, I had a documentary that I was working on uh, with a gem from Pennywise for uh, Vans Tennis Shoes. And for three years, they said, yeah, 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 green light, green light, green light, go, 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 go. This is going to be great. We're totally backing this. And then at about 11, uh, I'd say probably about 11.58, a couple of minutes before it struck midnight, they said, hit the brakes, there's the red light, stop, we're not doing this. Uh, what had happened was a whole new regime of people came into the the, the, uh, the building and took over, and they seemed to be much more, um, fuck, what's the word I want to use? Can, can I use four-letter words like love and hate and oh, yeah. math and... Um, yeah, absolutely. Any words you dope want. Dope and, you know, idea and... Um, the corporate people just decided that they were going to be um, wielding their uh, corporate sword and said, no, uh, all, all of the new people didn't understand what we were doing. It was pretty much like if Vans didn't want to do this, then we maybe were talking to the wrong people because this was totally... It, there, there was so much going on in the documentary that was about them and their their culture, and all of a sudden the new corporate people were just like, oh, oh, "We're too good for this," and now we want to go in a different direction, and um, we 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 would rather sell tennis shoes to people that go to Coachella rather than the kids that are skating in the bowls and skating at the skate parks and surfing and you know, Southern California culture. So we had that pulled away. And that was that was uh, pretty numbing in the fact that we had, uh, like I said, for three years they had green-lighted us and we started putting together stuff. And uh, we had Penelope Spheris who worked on the three uh, Decline of Western Civilization documentaries who was going to be the documentarian. She was going to direct it. She was going to help put it together. Uh, and we we brainstormed as to, you know, what, what's the direction we want to go in and what music we want to use and who we're going to have in the documentary. And it got pulled at the, it, it got pulled about two minutes before midnight. Um, I also spent two years writing um, a bunch of songs for my band Off, and uh, the reason it took us so long was that uh, a couple of the other members, they, they're, they're, they're family people, so they got to work. You know, they got to be earning money. They got to be paying their bills. They got to be putting food in their kids' mouths. And we understand that. It's like go out and be, be what you are and, and play with your brother and play with the guys that you played with all of your musical life. And we kept uh, coming coming into about a year and a half into the scenario, we started to think, you know what, we've got enough songs that we need to start recording. And we couldn't record because the, the other guys' schedules were... Well, I can't, I can't, I can't record today uh, because I got to take, I got to take my kids to school, and then I got to pick them up at two thirty. And you know, there's there's not enough time in between for me to come. And you know, in the meantime, they're recording music with their other bands, and now all of a sudden, um, we get into a situation where we actually have like some open spaces and we start recording this, this, this new off recording we've already recorded it twice we, re, we recorded 
we recorded it first with Dale from the Melvins playing drums. And then um, our uh, original drummer, Mario, heard what we recorded with Dale and said, well, you know what? Uh, I've been thinking about this, and I want to record these songs with you guys. Um, I think I can do a better job or I, I can do a better job, or whatever his mentality was. And it was it came out of a place where he'd already told us these songs that we were working on are part of a soundtrack for a movie. And he originally came to us and said, I'm, I'm a drummer, I'm not an actor. You know, and it's like, come on, Mario, we'll, your scenes in the movie, we'll make it so you don't have to say anything. All you have to do is just be in the scene. You know, just be one of the guys. And, um, he, he bowed out. He said, just go ahead and do this with Dale. Um, and so we, we started recording with Dale. We recorded, I think we recorded 23 songs and Mario heard what we were doing. And Mario said, you know what? I want to be a part of this. Nobody's doing anything like this. I'm going to be a part of this. We said, that's fine. You know, so. Um, we recorded 25 songs. I want to say it took us, um, I think it took us like four days, three or four days. It was like four days. We recorded 25 songs in four days. He learned the songs and then we recorded them. And normally what we would do is we would do one or two takes. And that's normally the way that it is. You know, you're going to get it then and there. Uh, uh, this, is, this isn't something where we're going to be laying overdubs over it, and we're going to go and we're going to dissect it, and well, we should do this, and we should re-record this. We, we recorded all of the songs, 25 songs, and we're not using all 25 songs in the soundtrack. But the situation was that going through all of this, Dimitri, who's the guitar player, he and I, who wrote all of these songs, realized we're just being tossed scraps. Everybody else's schedules, no matter what they're doing, are more important than our schedule. And we had waited like two years to record these songs, and it's our turn. Come on, guys. You know, give us five or six hours a day for two weeks. Give us, uh, give us a couple of eight-hour days in a row. You know, <laughs> be cool about this. Yeah. And it, it just, uh, one thing led to another where some really shifty, shady stuff went down, something really beyond ridiculous beyond uh, your your friend being in your band and being like one of your brothers and somebody that you've known for the majority of his life, turning around and doing something that was so uncalled for and so unnecessary that it's like, you know what? But we we've, we've been we we've, we've been over backwards for these guys and it's just it it it, it keeps blowing up in our face. Man, and, that, that's, and that's not cool. No, that sucks to hear because I'm sure everybody would like to hear a new um, set of off recordings. I actually saw off when y'all opened for Refused, which was a band I never thought I would see. And that was awesome. I also never thought I would see you perform. Do you remember um, that tour opening for Refused? And how, how was that? Well, those guys are great. And they're really appreciative, and they know that they certainly wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for a couple of us in the band, because of the other bands, you know, all of the bands that we've played in. And they were they were totally respectful. They were it was fun. The crowds were great. I think there was one show that was that that the turnout wasn't as great as it was supposed to be. And that, of course, uh, 
what was the we, we did an outdoor show in, in Atlanta be, behind the Masquerade Theater, and we we played on this big grassy green, and the guy that we uh, the, the sound guy that we 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 paid to do sound that day decided that he was going to sleep during our set. Like, just pull out a, uh, a, a lounge chair and just sleep while we were playing. Man, I was at and that show. It was still it was, a good show, brutal. though. It was a great show, so you don't have to worry about how he sounded out there. I remember thinking it was great. I mean, I have some great memories from that show. I remember my girlfriend I was with at the time, her just, like, dancing like crazy, Um there was no sound issue that brought it down. Um, but you did mention something in there about how Refuse sort of recognizes the line that they come from. And I always thought that about Refused, um, that they were sort of in this natural line of hardcore progression from the like late 70s, 80s into when they came out and put out you know, the shape of punk to come. And records. And one thing I've always been fascinated about is sort of the evolution of punk rock. And one of the most fascinating elements to me is how the shift in punk rock went from like aggressive but melodic, like the Ramones or the Clash, to hardcore so quickly. Like, you know, hardcore focused on energy, speed, vocal aggression over the vocal precision. So, like, the Ramones were out in, like, 1976, but then I think you're forming Circle Jerks around 1979. That's not a very long period for punk to take this, like, radical new direction. And so I was wondering, like, was changing punk rock in your mind or other bands' minds in that Southern California scene when y'all were creating, like, Circle Jerks? Well, one of one of the things that you need to uh, take into consideration is that we live in Southern California, and, and we're surrounded by uh, 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 quite a bit of just fake bullshit. And um, hardcore, I believe, is much more angrier than 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 punk rock. That I, I believe the difference was just uh, anger and the fact that. Uh, we to get around you you get on a freeway and instead of being on a regular street where you're driving 35 maybe 40 miles an hour you get on the freeway and now now all of a sudden you're driving 70 miles an hour and you're racing and that that's just part of the southern california culture yeah yeah did you did y'all know you were creating a you know different kind of punk rock like hardcore back in those days or was it just something you i guess the way to say it would be subconsciously did it was just what y'all were doing it, it was it, 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 i believe it was more subconscious we were just doing it we we i guess we're just angrier for whatever reasons we were angry about you know you also have to understand that we're dealing with uh, president reagan at the time who was uh, we're going to blame for uh, a majority of the things that are going on right now. You know how we have one guy blaming Barack Obama for everything, and um, we we will hold that against Barack Obama for um, tearing into him at a uh, press meeting dinner, where all he did was just joke about the guy. And apparently, it struck all the guy's buttons, and now everything that Barack Obama did while he was president is being taken down. Um, but the politics at the time were, like, horrible. Um, we we had, um, up until that time, we, we had a very good uh, financial equality situation where... Uh, the, the regular working class guy wasn't getting taxed like, like, uh, they are or we are now, where we, we carry the brunt of all of the bills. And we just didn't, uh, we weren't really 
sitting around going, well, we need to do this to change it, to make it like this, to make it, you know, we got to be better than that, because we loved all of those bands that came before us, and, and some of those bands, they were only around like maybe a couple of years be, before Black Flag. You know, Black Flag started up in like late, I think we started up in late 76, early 77. I mean, but we didn't get around to any kind of recordings until, I don't think we did any recording until 78. We didn't know it. We didn't know that's what you did as a band. We, we just, we got in a room and we played and that was, we were playing for our own satisfaction. Yeah, totally. Um, you mentioned some about some of the bands you, you know, you knew, you knew the Ramones, of course, I'm sure you knew the Clash, but what about before that? You know, so many people in punk rock are only associated with like punk rock, but I was wondering if before punk came around and hardcore, were you into music generally? And like, what kind of stuff did you listen to? You know, before 76, you know, when... I've listened to music since I was about seven years old. Six or seven years old. You know, we'd, we'd get in the car and my mom would turn on the radio. You know, and, and being here in Los Angeles, we were very fortunate we had AM radio. This is before FM. See, when FM came on, they 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 would play an entire album. Or they would, there were, the, the, the thing with AM radio is that they played all the singles. So you were going to hear the Rolling Stones playing Satisfaction, or you were going to play the, the you, you were going to hear the Beatles uh, singing Eight Days a Week, or you were, you were going to hear the Seeds singing Pushing Too Hard, you know, and that would be, you know, that would be part of the blueprint for punk rock, you know, going all the way back then, going all the way back into the, like the mid-60s. The seeds and love singing uh, my little my little red book and the Scandales singing dirty water and some sometimes good guys don't wear white and then there would be the music machine with talk talk you know just the aggressive uh, the music explosion with a little bit of soul um, so um, the the roots. To punk, go way back, you know. Even even the hippies, there were angry hippies. You know, there's always been this punks versus hippies. Kill a hippie, you know. Don't be like them. Well, uh, it, it it goes even deeper than that. It's like when you're saying don't be like them, you're saying don't be like your parents. You know, don't be like your grandparents. It's us versus them. The the young fresh mentality. Yeah, it sounds like um, you were into a lot of that early rock and roll stuff that everyone you know sort of loves. Even if you get into punk rock, if you you know start with punk rock and start tracing it back, you're eventually. Oh no, there's it. there's there's. I'm 64 years old. What was I going to listen to before punk rock? If I'm if, if I'm somebody that listens to music, yes. I'm going to listen to I'm going to listen to glam rock. I'm going to listen to heavy metal. I'm going to listen to classic rock. I'm going to listen to prog rock. I, I worked in a couple of record stores, and the 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 records behind the counter were Yes and Genesis and Gentle Giant and. PFM and Gracious and Manfred Mann's Earth Band and, uh, you know, uh, occasionally there would be some hard rock. Um, occasionally there'd be some blues. Yeah, yeah. So how do you... I'd like to hear the story how you got into punk rock, like... Do you remember the first time you hear something and you know this is punk rock and uh, how you're listening to it it sort of evolved in those early days? Well, I didn't hear it on the radio because they weren't playing it on the radio in the very beginning. Uh, what it what it would boil down to is maybe reading about it in one of the publications, uh, maybe going into a record store and somebody behind the counter playing some punk rock. 
that was a rarity. That that was a real rarity. Um, maybe like reading about Patty Smith or the Ramones. Um, maybe lucking into it and hearing it late Sunday night at midnight on K-Rock when Rodney Bingenheimer had a show called Rodney on the Rock. He would play it. He'd play early Blondie. He'd play Susie and the Banshees. He'd play the Buzzcocks. He'd play whatever L.A. bands had records like X and the Bags and the Weirdos. Um the Avengers from San Francisco, Dead Kennedys, um, Crime. So that's how we would get it in bits and pieces. Yeah, it sounds like you... I think that doesn't change really in punk rock. When you're first getting into it, you just get into it from these alternative means. Like, you don't hear it on the radio. Like, I got into punk rock after my friend went to, like, skateboard summer camp. In Woodward, I think Pennsylvania, at least the summer camp was called Pennsylvania. And he, we were into skateboarding, but we hadn't gotten into music really. And he comes back from this like two week heavenly trip to skateboard summer camp. And he's like, dude, there's this thing called punk rock and we can do it, you know? So, we, of course, we did start trying to do it. And that's what I wanted to ask you about next. So, how do you go from listening and hearing about punk rock to, you know, forming a band, Black Flag, and then Circle Jerks? How, how did that change happen from just being kind of like a fan to wanting to make it? Well, the, the way that it happened was um, I worked in a record store. The guy that owned the record store was dating Greg Ginn's sister. So she would come in and occasionally he would come in with her. They lived right up the hill from the record store. They were like, they were probably, oh, four blocks away. And she would bring them along with her and he would be going through the bins and we would be playing whatever music we would be playing. Like, like I said, the majority of the music in that particular record store was prog rock. And, um, there, there would also be some, uh, Linda Ronstadt. There would be some, um, Lindsey Nicks, Stevie, uh, excuse me, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, who would later go on to be in Fleetwood Mac. Um, there would be Poco. There would be New Riders of the Purple Sage. Um, there would be Joni Mitchell. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not dissing on any of these. I'm not dissing on any of these these bands or these artists because they all have their time and place. They're all great at what they do. It's just some of the stuff that they do is just not what I want to listen to. Yeah, it didn't apply to your life. It so sounds like what, what what was happening was Greg Ken was coming into this record store, and we were becoming friends just through conversation. You know, Michael would leave with Michael, the owner, would leave with Greg Ken's sister, and there I would be behind the counter, and I would be not playing any of the stuff that we would normally play in the record store. I, I would occasionally bring my own records along with me, so that would mean we would be listening to Iggy and the Stooges, like Raw Power. We would be listening to the Ramones' first album. We would be listening to Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and anything with any kind of volume, you know, any anything that was making a different kind of statement rather than what was the the, the statement that was being made in the record store. And through this, we developed a friendship, and eventually, Michael um, hit me up and asked me if I wanted to. Um, go see Journey at the Santa Monica Civic. And the Santa Monica Civic, which is a great venue, only holds 3,000 people. This is Journey before... When you say Michael, who's... Michael who? Michael... Um, Michael Cooper. Um, 
who is the owner of the record store. Okay, gotcha. So you're going to see Journey. So. Yeah, but it was the, the reason um, I went was because Finn Lizzie was playing with them. Nice. No, that sounds and, awesome. and Michael's last name is Piper. Uh, he 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 passed away about ten years ago, but his last name is Piper, not okay, Cooper. Got, gotcha, gotcha. C- Cooper was our boys' principal and PE coach at our high school. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Gotcha. So you. So met anyways, Green- uh, anyways, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna go see um, Finn Lizzie play with Journey at the Santa Monica Civic, and so we also invite Greg Ginn to go on. And this was this was when uh, we we get through watching uh, Thin Lizzy, and be, between Thin Lizzy and Journey, um, just in a casual conversation, Greg turns to me and says, "You know, I I, I got a handful of songs that I'd like to play for you. Uh, I'd really like for you to hear uh, what I've written." And I said, "That's great." See, that's when the light went on over our heads as to you know what, maybe we, maybe we'll start a band. Excellent. You know, okay, cool. It, it's him and, and me, and he plays these songs, and I'm floored. I, I'm just like, I, I didn't expect it. Th- th- this is not supposed to be coming from him. Wow. And that was, uh, the seeds for Black Flag were planted at a uh, journey Thin Lizzie concert. Excellent. So were you just going to be the singer? Greg Ginn says, I have these songs, and you're like, I'm going to be the singer. Or how do you come to be a singer? Well, I'm I'm not a singer. I'm a vocalist. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a excellent. You know, a singer is the guy who uh, gets up in front of the orchestra and hits fucking every note. You know, because they train and they train and they train and they train and they train. They're called the opera singer, you know? There, there, there are other singers like guys like Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby and Perry Como and you know Andy Williams and uh, but all all of that stuff's pretty just boring. That's mom and pop type stuff. That's grandma and grandpa uh, Christmas music and drinking music type stuff. No, we're vocalists. M- most of your punk rock. Most of the guys fronting punk or gals fronting punk rock bands, they're vocalists. Now, some of them can actually sing. Maybe some of them actually got vocal training while they were in school. You know, maybe some of them had been singing since they were kids. You know, they were in the in the in in the the high school chorus. You know, that kind of stuff. But a lot of us were just angry dudes that just picked up a microphone and started screaming and yelling into the mic. That's pretty much pretty much what punk rock is. Yeah. I mean, there's some great vocalists, there's some great singers, Dave Vanian and um, Pete Shelley. Hmm. Those guys can sing. Yeah, there 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 there's some of us that can sing. But you just but grabbed I, the I don't consider myself a singer. I'm a vocalist. Yeah, and that's how it started for you. You just, Greg Ginn had some songs, and uh, at some point you grabbed the well, We're mic. listening to the songs, and we're looking at each other, and it's like, what's next? What are we going to do? we got to start a band. How do we go about doing this? We didn't know what to do. Well, do you, do you know anybody that plays drums? Well, do you know anybody that plays bass? We... Before I, I was in Black Flag for three years. Before I left, we had gone through four bass players, of, of varying degrees of bass playing abilities. We went through two drummers. Uh, we had to fire one of the drummers because um, he brought in one of the bass players, and the guy ended up doing something that he wasn't supposed to do, and it came back to Greg, and Greg was just not having it. Like, no, fuck this shit. You're out of here, both of you. Um, we, we, we. It was just play it by ear. Mm. You know, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just do whatever we have to do to make this happen. That's pretty amazing. And you go on to sort of form this very distinct uh, form of punk rock. And in the beginning, you're just kind of playing it by ear, just kind of figuring it out as you go. Um, well. 
we talked about Black Flag some. Let's talk about Circle Jerks, if you don't mind. And I want to ask a very specific question. Do you remember the first Circle Jerk show, where it was, what it was like? I don't think I've seen that in any of the punk rock documentaries and stuff, the first Circle Jerks show. Um, well, uh, you need to. Um, I, I have a favor to ask you because my phone, uh, the volume on my phone uh kind of disappeared so i had to turn the volume up on my phone while you were asking the question okay i got you it's real simple i was just asking <clears throat> we talked some about black flag but i did want to talk about circle jerks too and i wanted to ask a very specific question i was wondering if you remembered your first show with circle jerks where it was what it was like because i haven't seen that in any of the you know popular punk rock documentaries there are out there where the first Circle Jerk show was, how it was, and stuff. So do you remember that? Well, you uh, need to remember that the first Circle Jerks recording is uh, a bunch of songs in a matter of uh, minutes. And when I say minutes, I don't mean like 30 minutes. I don't mean 25 minutes. I don't mean 20 minutes. We're, we're talking like 15 minutes. And if you take that and plop it down on a stage, the only thing that, that, that extends our set is the fact that uh, our guitar player is still learning to play guitar. And he, he had taken baby steps while he was in Red Cross and the tourists. And now here he is. He's the he's the main guitar player in the Circle Jerks. And take a take a uh, take a twenty seven second song, and then take a minute or two minutes to retune the guitar after that twenty seven seconds, and multiply that by about. 13 or 14 songs and that would be our set and all of our all of our shows were in these hot stinky sweaty dingy uh rooms with no monitors it was like okay well let's hope that whoever's behind the soundboard actually knows what they're doing which at that time for, for that genre of music was normally just some kid with a PA. You know, he he bought the he bought the PA two months ago, and he's just now learning how to use the PA properly. You know, getting certain levels and uh, being able to like pan uh, instruments like on one side or to the right or what have you. So uh, we're we're talking about chaos ensues. And it's totally appropriate because there'll be a lot of drinking, there'll be a lot of smoking, um, there'll be a lot of socializing, there'll be a lot of people there that that don't even care about the bands. They're just there because they need to get out of the house or it gives them something to do. And so we're playing all of these early shows. I don't even remember our first show. I don't even remember some of our earliest shows because I'm an alcoholic. And I, I I would get completely wiped out. Not only am I uh, not only am I an alcoholic, but I'm also a, a cocaine addict. I, I'm no longer doing either of those. It's been since, since 1988 since I've done any of that. But I was doing that in the beginning, and it just makes for everything to be become a big, big like a whiteout, a big blur. Mm, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you some about the darker moments in those days. So do you regret that drug and alcohol use and not being able to remember those times? Um, I can sit here and go down a list of regrets and it doesn't matter because it's, that's what happened and I have no control over it. You have no control over the past. I mean, you got a time machine, but we have with the time machine and I'll go back and I'll watch some of it, but I won't do anything to change a thing. It is, or it was, what it was, you know. And um, yeah, I have my regrets. 
maybe I shouldn't have done a lot of the things that I did, but I did them. And now I'm dealing with it. I mean, being a 64 year old, my knees hurt, my legs hurt. I, I, um, we're, we're in the COVID-19 right now and we're, we're not allowed to really go outdoors. We're not supposed to spend much time outdoors and I'll go out for about half an hour and I will get out there and walk. I'll walk like 18 blocks as fast as I can. Of course, with a face mask, and I'll be wearing a sweatshirt. And right now, it looks to be, uh, it feels to be probably in the high 80s, maybe low 90s. And I'm going to put a sweatshirt on, and I'm going to go out there fully clothed, and I'm going to be soaking wet by the time I get back, and I'm going to feel great. You know, open up the lungs, get the heart rate up, break a sweat. Um, as for, for all of the regrets, like I said, I could go down a long list of regrets. I've got regrets that go even past the punk rock thing, you know, and not paying attention to some of the things and not doing, not doing the Henry Rollins thing where I wrote about everything that happened to me. I just, I didn't feel it to be that important. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about maybe those darker times because, you know, there is there is those moments in punk rock and any music history, too. And I was just wondering if maybe one of those moments stuck out to you. You said um, you uh, recovered from drug use and alcohol use, and I think you said 1988. But was there a certain moment right around then that uh, was the impetus for that shift in your life? Well, um I had some friends that were playing a party at some friends' parents up in Beverly Hills, like a really high-ditch neighborhood. I'm Beverly Hills, you look up Beverly Hills, and you know the first thing that will come up will be the Beverly Hillbillies. There were no hillbillies that lived in Beverly Hills. That's a misnomer. That's just for a television show. Um, and it's a party. And uh, when you're young, what do you do at the party? Well, you drink and you smoke and you try to get laid and you do drugs and you drink some more and you smoke a few more cigarettes and you keep going. And I end up uh, passing out um, on a floating device in the swimming pool, completely naked. I don't know how I got there. And I wake up the next morning, and uh, I find my clothes, and put my clothes on, and go in and uh, lay in bed next to my girlfriend. And she was really upset with me. Uh, Maybe I said some stuff to her that I don't remember saying. Uh, Maybe I tried to do something that I shouldn't have done. Um, But all of our friends were there. And whatever I did probably was very embarrassing. I don't remember any of it except for the fight that we got in in the kitchen that morning when I'm trying to punch her. And all of a sudden, there's like we're surrounded by 20 people in the kitchen. And uh, a couple of my friends grab me and throw me in the back of a van and drive me away. This is probably about noon on a, uh, I think it was a Sunday. And I I was a complete wreck. I'd been on probably a a week-long binge. And that was when I hit my bottom because I'm not a big guy. I don't weigh a lot. I'm not supposed to go around getting violent with people, especially women. You know, the only time you get violent with a woman is if she pulls a gun on you and you got to defend yourself or she pulls a knife on you and you got to defend yourself or you're in a parking lot and she's in her car and she's driving as fast as she can at you. You know, uh, obviously you've done something or said something to piss her off, but uh, normally you don't fuck with women. So, um, anyways, um, I get violent with my girlfriend and that was my bottom. 
uh, was like, I, I, I can't, I, I'm not going to go any lower than this. You know, I've had my fun. I've done drugs, uppers, downers, uh, you know, um, uh, heroin by mistake, all the cocaine and the uh, MDMA and the uh, crystal meth and what have you. You know, I've sampled as many beers as I can and some hard liquor and I developed a wine habit and it was just, it's over. Hmm. This is it. I don't need to do this anymore. You know, I've, I've, I've chipped and fractured bones. I've been in automobile accidents that I'm not supposed to walk away from. Um, I've leapt off two-story buildings. I've uh, crushed a lower lumbar vertebrae getting pushed off of a stage at a music festival. It's like, enough is enough. That was it for me. Yeah, it sounds like you realized you had done enough. Did you have any friends in those scenes that didn't come to that realization and you lost them because of that? And did anyone there, there, particularly It's a long list. It's a, uh, it's a long, long list. Did any of, of them... Certain a, a, ones. A, friend, a, a list of friends ranging from um, Darby Crash with a heroin OD to Jeffrey Lee Pierce, who uh, bled to death, had a brain hemorrhage, and, and just fell over. His death was attributed to all of the drugs and all of the drinking and all of the abuse that he'd poured on himself. It's a long list. It's like that list is as long, if not longer, than my list of regrets. Did you have any one friend or anyone you knew that kind of hurt you more than the rest when they uh, died? Well, I just mentioned two of them. Mm, Okay, gotcha. And. Um, you know, there, there, there are many more, but, um, you know, some, some of these people don't die immediately from drug abuse. Some of them overdose. Um, I, I had a couple of friends that overdosed on a hot batch of heroin. And when I say a hot batch, that's like when a heroin addict gets a hot batch, they know that they're not cooking up an entire spoon of it. They're, they're cooking up, you know, just enough to get them off, and, and they know where to, like, draw the line. And my friends, uh, both of them were depressed. Both of them had just uh, broken up with their girlfriends, and they, uh, the first one did a little bit more than he should, and he overdosed, and uh, my second friend found him and and was just so shaken by it. He just took the remaining heroin, put it in a spoon, and shot it up, and that killed him. I mean, I, I had to go into the space where they were at. One of them was face down in a pillow. The other one was face up but he had vomited and the vomit had caked on his face so he was not breathing he 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 was not breathing he was wrapped in a he was wrapped in a rug it was brutal yeah um well that was the last date we mentioned was around 1988 when you got sober and well when the 1990s come around and even into the thousand what i always call beat down hardcore like bands like Madball and we have a band from Columbia South Carolina actually named Stretch Armstrong that started kind of becoming the prominent hardcore at that time but then also um pop punk of course took over the world at that moment so I'm wondering like into the 90s did you feel like you weren't going to have a place in punk rock anymore well they're there's uh, the scenario that um, playing in a band with people that don't prioritize the band makes things difficult for the band to continue functioning as uh, as a full-time band. And 
So consequently, when you have a guitar player that, that joins uh, another band, another full-time band, it's time to look for other means of uh, 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 some kind of a cash flow. So I'm like washing dishes and bussing tables and uh, bartending and, you know, working odd jobs. So it it really wasn't um, some of your questions. You have specific questions that I don't have specific answers for. Like, well, where did we fit amongst all of these other bands during this time? It was like... We we fit wherever we could fit at any time, and it wasn't a matter of well, are we going to go on tour with Green Day? Are we going to go on tour with Bad Religion? Are we going to go on tour with Pennywise or Rancid or any of these bands? Those those, those weren't even questions. Those weren't even issues. It's like, hey guys, can can we get together to play? Uh, can can we play it? Can could we play a live show? You know, I, I could use I could use a couple of hundred bucks. You know, so it's not a matter of like where we are on the chain. Um, where do we where do we fit in amongst all of these bands? A lot of these bands, they understand that they would not be doing what they're doing if, if it wasn't for bands like us. And yeah. and we get that, and they get that, but at the same time, like like I just uh, the the circle jerks, uh, all of our dates have been canceled. The, the the majority of our not all of them, but the majority of our dates have been canceled. We just had a show in um, uh, Rimini, Italy, which is about two hours, two and a half hours south of Milan, which is that's the financial Florence and Milan are the financial districts of the financial cities in Italy, and those were the two hardest-hit cities in the uh, coronavirus outbreak. And we were just waiting and waiting and waiting. These people waited until the very last minute to, to cancel their their festival, thinking that there would, there would be some miraculous cure for all of this. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're playing these festivals, these, or we were supposed to play these European festivals with bands like Pennywise and Bad Religion and No Effects and Some 41 and, you know, a whole bunch of other bands. And we were getting this wave of people going, you're more important than those bands. You're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be opening for those bands. It's like we have no control over that because these bands, they're very popular bands, you know, and and these festivals, they need these big popular bands to bring people to the festival, you know, so we, we, we get it, you know, we know that we're important to all of these people, but at the same time, they're just as important to us. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say, Yeah, and all I do is listen to all of these bands because they're all my favorite bands and that's so far from the truth. I grew up listening to all different types of music. Right now I'm listening to a lot of jazz. Um Here's the emergency helicopter. Can you hear it? <laughs> I don't hear that. I'm surprised you haven't heard the lawnmower going off over that's here. That's not a lawnmower. That's a that's a helicopter. Yeah. That's a low flying emergency helicopter going to the children's hospital. And I have no control over that. So um getting back to our importance, yeah, you know, it, it dawns on me every now and then, but it's that turns into some ego bullshit, and it's like, I just don't want to go there. You know, I'm happy for all of these bands. They should be out there doing whatever they're doing. They should be able to do whatever they want to do. That doesn't mean that I sit around listening to them. Yeah, yeah. So you talked some about, you know, the roots of, you know, punk rock and stuff like that, and Group Sex was released 40 years ago. Of course, uh big record a seminal record in hardcore of course 
So could you take me back to when y'all made that record? Do you remember making it um, and what you were going through and thinking when you were making it and uh, what it was like just to make group sex? Well, we weren't really... This goes back to like when you asked me about the first Circle Jerk shows and some of the stuff that was going on. You know, and, and what happened at these shows and what was my feeling towards the shows and all of that. We're caught up in a hurricane. All of this stuff is just flying by, like snap your fingers and it's gone. So we're caught up in this. We're just going with it. We're going with the flow. We're doing it. We're not waiting around. We're not sitting around thinking, well, what are we going to do for this song? And how are we going to track this song? And are we going to turn the guitars up? And no, we, we're not thinking any of that. We, our, our schedule was basically Greg hanging out at my house and us waiting for a phone call from the studio where we were, were recording the record. We recorded the record in a voiceover studio down on one of the big movie studio lots, television studio lots. And they would call at two in the afternoon and say, we just got through with our, uh, we, we just got through with a couple of voiceover sessions and we've got three hours. How soon can you be here? And we, we said, we'll be there, we'll be there in 45 minutes. They said, get here. You know, and then we would toss all the equipment in the back of the truck, and we would head over there. You know, we'd call Lucky and say, Lucky, we're at Desi Lou at, at 2.45. Be there. You know, and we, we'd say the same thing to our guitar player. And that's how it worked. Oh, we've got four hours here. Um, tomorrow we can't do anything because we're booked all day, but um, on Thursday we have uh, two hours starting at 5 p.m. In, at, at night, you know, in, um, excuse me, in the evening. That that went on for a couple of weeks. That That's how it worked for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay, it sounds again like you're just going you're playing it by ear you're just doing what you can to make it happen at that moment that's all we could do yeah yes it wasn't it wasn't like well we're we're all you know we're we, we all have like day jobs that are paying us so well that we can uh we we can afford to go and drop like a thousand dollars eight hundred dollars on a recording studio to record a record that that's not how a lot of this was thought out Totally. So you mentioned some about day jobs. That's a funny thing I kind of wanted to ask you about. Probably a lot of people who are going to listen to this podcast are people who play in punk bands now or punk influence band. So I would hope you I was hoping you could maybe talk about the real sort of grit about what you have to do to sort of make it plain punk rock. Could you talk about that? Well, not just not just punk rock. You know, for a lot of musicians, for a lot of people that are playing different kinds of music, it's like uh, the, the number one rule is you don't give up your day job. If you've got a source of income and, and you're able to put food in your mouth and you're able to keep a roof over your head and you're able to put clothes on your body, you know, and put, put gas and oil in your car, you, you hold on to your day job. Because chances are, uh, playing music, uh, unless you hit the, the, the lottery, unless you hit the jackpot, you're not going to be making enough money to be paying bills. That's just the way it is. That's the way it's been throughout history. Yeah. You know, in, unless you're in the King's Orchestra. <laughs> totally, totally. Um and most punk bands are not nearly that level. I know certainly the ones that I played in were not. Well, yeah, you're talking about a low-ditch life form that can barely rub nickels together to make pennies. But it's like I've, I, I told you some of the things that I've done. I've bust tables. I've washed dishes. I've prepped food. I've um, filed legal paperwork. 
I have worked in record stores. Um, I, I've not been a race car driver. I, I have not been a soldier of fortune. Um, maybe I have been a soldier of fortune without the, all of the weapons yeah. and all of the camouflage. I was, you're mentioning a lot of things that you've done, and I was going to ask you what you do now. So what's life like when you're not doing music? Like, Do you have a career outside of music, or what's life like? Well, um, I uh, have written stories in a couple of books. I've actually, um, I, I was fortunate to be able to put out my own book. I mean, well, I had a publishing company put out my book, but I put out a book that did really, really well. It did way beyond their expectations to the point where they said, well, we're, we're going to need you to um, start thinking about what you're going to write for your second book. You know, you're going to need to present us, um, you, you, you tell us, you know, give us ideas to what's going to be in your book. You know, sell us your book. And um, also, um, uh, I've come up with a couple of movie ideas. I've also got a script for a movie. Um, Off is supposed to film a movie, shoot a movie for our Watermelon soundtrack, which we have to re-record for a third time. See, none of this gets to happen until after all of what we're experiencing right now in present-day times uh, pretty much goes away. Yeah, yeah, I think we're all scared about that stuff and um, <clears throat> all scared about the virus, but hopefully, you know, it. we can get over it soon enough, you know. But um, I did want to talk to you some about uh, what you mentioned in the beginning, which was your age. You're in your 60s, and I just wonder, do you ever think how things have changed over the years uh, within punk rock, how you do it, you know, music, anything like that? Or do you ever say to yourself, can you believe this shit? I'm still doing this in my 60s. Do you ever think about those things? Well, right off the bat, um, being 64... That makes me uh, eligible for the uh, senior citizens' breakfast at uh, Denny's. You ever eat at Denny's? Absolutely. You, you know, you, you can't say that you've lived life unless you've... Well, if you live in North America, I mean, if you live some, you know, on some other continent, the, 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 this, this doesn't matter. But if you've grown up on the, on the, on the continent of North America, which is where we're at... Uh, you can't say you've lived life unless you've eaten at Denny's yeah. or International House of Pancakes mm-hmm. or or Waffle House. Yeah, or, that's what we have around here more. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. how things have changed. You get this senior but, citizen discount. <laughs> yeah. Um, dine and Dash. There, there's also, you, you can't say you've lived life unless you've dined and dashed. But um, the, the, this whole scenario as to turning 64, my only real hurdle is just health issues being a diabetic. I don't really sit around going, well, how did we make it 40 years? You know, like I, like I told you how we approach this in the very beginning is the same way we approach it now. Just bring it at me, and if I want to do it, I'll do it. If I don't want to do it, I'll just say no. <clears throat> But it's very athletic, it's very physical, and uh, as I said earlier, uh, as soon as I um, get off the phone with you, I'm going to take a piss. Uh, well, what I'm first going to do is I'm going to take a big gulp of water, and then I'm going to take a piss, and then I'm going to put on a sweatshirt, and I'm going to go out in like 90 degree weather, and I'm going to walk as fast as I can for about 25 minutes. And I'm going to get soaking sweat. There are going to be points in in my walk where I got to bring it back down a couple of notches, and then I'm going to kick it back up three or four more notches. And I'm going to be sweating like a pig at a luau. Do you know what a luau is? I've never been to one, but so I only got one and more question. Really, I can't answer your dog's question. Yes, yeah, sorry. Your We're... dog's back there wanting to know who the, who are you talking to and what's the big deal. 
Yeah, we're out on the porch, so sometimes the dogs talk to you more than me. I was wondering if punk rock represents the same ideas to you that it did when you first started listening and creating punk rock, or if your ideas about what it represents changed. Um, I'm I'm not going to go into any details, but it's just as pertinent now as it was back then, and uh, you keep bringing up punk rock, and there are angry people everywhere. There's punk rock is always going to be here in some shape or form. There's always going to be some angry kid who's told, well, you don't get to eat dinner until you finish your homework. And the the kid, obviously, um, the the thoughts jumping around in his head or, or her head are, fuck you, I don't want to be like you, and you're serving liver and onions for dinner, and I'll just take that and throw it out in the backyard for the dogs. Excellent. Well, we had the dog maybe getting the liver and onions just now. Keith, that's all I had for you, man. I appreciate you talking to me. This has been an awesome interview, awesome opportunity for myself and this podcast, and I just can't thank you enough. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for your time. Thank you. All right. Um, you know, we'll say goodbye for now. All right. You guys be good. Cheers. Cheers. This has been a Comfort Monk production.